Uh, you may notice when you came in this morning in your seats, we have a, a little uh, card. Oftentimes we'll do these as a scripture memory work, but last week I really felt prompted by the Lord to add to those dangerous prayers we've been praying, the prayer of Habakkuk in Habakkuk 3.2, and thought for your sake you might just want to keep that with you. And so we had these made for you. You can take them, put them uh, on your mirror at home, put them in your car, and just don't be you know, reading it while you're driving. Uh, um, but, uh, but it's a great way to, um, to join in, in praying that prayer of Habakkuk uh, with uh, your brothers and sisters every day, every week. And with that in mind, I'm just going to ask you, as you're able, would you stand with me, please? And we're going to pray together those, uh, those prayers, those dangerous prayers. We believe the Lord's been calling us uh, to pray. And, uh, uh, and so together, we pray for ourselves. We pray for one another. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, set us on fire for you. Send a revival and start with me. Then with the prophets, we pray from Acts, the apostles, we pray from Acts 4, that scripture we read a little earlier. Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then finally, from Habakkuk 3, we pray with the prophet. Habakkuk, Lord, we have heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Father, we pray these things in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah and amen. Praise the Lord. You may, you may be seated. <clears throat> Hallelujah. So last week, I began talking to you just a bit about being led by the Holy Spirit and the indisputable reality that our God is a speaking God who delights in leading His children. If you missed that message, you can check it out on our church app or our church website. I encourage you to do that. I was talking with someone last week, and they said they were, they were so excited after last week's message because, in their words, it made being led by the Spirit sound like something ordinary humans can do. And I thought, praise the Lord, because this is something ordinary humans can do. This is, in fact, what you were created to do, what you were designed to do as a part of God's creation, order, and plan, that you were designed to commune with Him and to live your life out of that communion with Him. Too often, I think, we take the things of God and we try to make them up there, out there, way off over there somewhere, something so far removed from our daily lives that we give up before we even get started. It's as if we somehow have managed to believe the Lord who does these things isn't right here with us. It's as if we've convinced ourselves that the Lord who does these things isn't really within us as He promised to be. As if somehow we imagine that for whatever reason, He no longer is who He says He is in the Bible. Or He no longer does the things He says He does in the Bible. But if you reject those things like I do, then there's no reason whatsoever you should not expect the Lord to lead you, just like He led His people throughout the Bible. This morning, I want to pick up more or less where we left off last week and kind of move our discussion, our consideration of the Holy Spirit into the area of the gifts of the Spirit. And just to get us focused and moving, would you stand with me, please, as you're able to do that once again, in honor of the Word of God. And we're just going to read together 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 11. 
1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 11. I'll read the plain text if you'll join me in reading the highlighted portions that we will walk through the passage together. 1 Corinthians 12, then beginning at verse 7, this is what the Bible says. Now to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common profiting. For truly to one is given a word of wisdom by the Spirit, and to another word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to a different one faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another working of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, and to a different one various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues." Now, one and the same Spirit works all these things, apportioning individually to each as He wills. Praise the Lord, this is the Word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Now, I don't know what you think about this particular subject or where you stand on this particular subject, but I distinctly remember a time in my life, very early in my walk with the Holy Spirit. When I believed in these gifts, I defended these gifts, But deep down inside of me, to be perfectly honest, I wasn't sure at all if God would ever actually manifest these gifts in or through me. Very early in my journey with the Holy Spirit, within actually actually months of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, a friend of mine was very, very ill. I was in college at the time. She was very ill. She asked if I'd come over and and lay hands and pray for her. And, And I distinctly remember, vividly, while I was laying hands on her, praying for her to be healed, She leapt up, ran out of the room, and began throwing up like nobody's business. And I have to tell you, that experience, which in that moment in my life I internalized as a humiliating failure, went down deep inside me. And for at least a year and a half, I was very reticent to lay hands on or pray for anybody to eat. I, I did, I, something went in me that made me, at best, unbelieving. Although I believed intellectually. To make things worse, to be honest with you, most of the teaching I was getting at that time on spiritual gifts and healing and whatnot was honestly pretty bad teaching. Nevertheless, Because I found those things in the Bible, and because they were so prominent in the Bible, I kept reading, and I kept studying, and I kept praying, trying to separate the true from the false, desperately looking to develop a biblical approach to the miraculous. Actually, I'm going to stop here for just a minute. And and, and this little kept bringing this to me over and over. If you're here and you have had an experience in your life or something went down inside of you and has messed you up since then. For me, in this particular case, I was praying. You know, I was new in the Holy Spirit, but I thought this stuff was true. And, uh, and I was embarrassed by how nothing happened. And it went inside me and affected me for a year and a half. If you have had something, I mean, maybe it was like that. Maybe you prayed for something and it didn't work. Maybe, you know, maybe it's something your, your, one of your parents said to you. I don't, I don't know. But if you know, something's happened in your life. There was a time there was a moment where something went down in you and it messed you up. 
And if you were honest, you would say, it is still messing me up today. I'm going to ask you to stand up right now. I want to pray for you. Because I'm going to tell you in a second how the Lord set that thing out of me. But I believe, as I put this together, the Lord kept saying, there are people who need something let out of them. Father God, you know us, you know us inside out. You know everything about us. You know things we don't remember. You know stuff we don't know. You know where those things are down inside us. You know exactly how they're impacting people down inside. And Father God, in the name of Jesus, we ask you this morning, touch it and set it free. Lord, if, if something got put in there, take it out in the name of Jesus. If something got twisted, straighten it out in the name of Jesus. If something got removed, put it back in the name of Jesus. It is for freedom that Christ sets us free. You came to set your people free. You did it in the Old Testament. You do it in the New. You are a God of freedom. Set your people free. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. Touch your people. Set them free. Restore what the locusts have eaten. Restore what has been taken from them. Restore faith. Restore confidence. Restore a right view of you. Restore a right view of themselves. Restore a right view of anything that has been messed up in Jesus' name. Heal. Free. Restore your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah and amen. Praise the Lord. I remember that, praying, uh, her name was Robin, praying for Robin, I remember it vividly. And I also remember the very first time the Lord instantly healed someone and I was involved in that as well. It was in a, a college-age small group I led at the time, long, long time ago, many years ago. One of the members of the group had graduated, they'd started working as a lab tech, and uh, they had developed this terrible reaction to the gloves they had to wear in their job. Uh, and one night we were, we were gathered together, and, and this young lady was absolutely distraught. Her hands and wrists were covered in, in, in ugly red welts, and she was itching and literally just clawing. Claw, she could not stop clawing her hands in this gathering. And she said, will you please pray? And I said, oh, we'll pray. So, so we stopped, and the first thing I did was I invited the Holy Spirit to come and touch her. And then I just felt like the Lord said, just, and so we sat there for a couple minutes, and right when I was getting ready to, to, to pray for her, she started laughing and crying all at the same time. And she said, look, 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 and held up her hands and completely clean. The, the itching was gone, and as far as I know, it's never come back in, at this point, I don't know, 30 years. And, so, and, and it was so awesome, and I literally did nothing. It had nothing to do with my prayer because I didn't even get to pray. The Holy Spirit just came and manifested himself in this way for this young woman. And that experience healed in me. That thing I'd been carrying for that point about a year and a half in my life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul begins what will then become a three-chapter discussion of spiritual gifts. And he opens by writing this. 
Now, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. And I have to say that with such a strongly worded introduction, it is shocking to me how little Christians seem to understand about this subject today. It's disturbing to me how much confusion and controversy today surrounds the subject of spiritual gifts. And even among charismatics who sort of consider this their thing, uh, uh, how very often the theology is, is, is unbiblical. When Paul opens by saying, I don't want you ignorant on these matters. I guess that shouldn't necessarily surprise me since the Corinthian Christians, the ones to whom Paul was writing in this letter, were very proud of their use of spiritual gifts, in spite of the fact it's going to turn out their use of the gifts was often chaotic, irresponsible, and wrong. Paul refers to his subject in very generalized terms here, at least in the Greek. He calls them pneumaticone, basically spiritual things, spiritual stuff. So he says, now about spiritual stuff, brothers... I do not want you to be ignorant. Literally, I do not want you not to know. That's what it says in the Greek. About this spiritual stuff, I do not want you not to know. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, you know, I don't need to know this stuff. That's not, you know, really for me. That's nothing I particularly need to understand. You are dead wrong. And you are arguing with the Bible. This letter was written to Christians, all the Christians in Corinth, not just the pastors and the apostles and the prophets in Corinth, to the whole church, Paul writes, when it comes to spiritual stuff, when it comes to the things of the Spirit, the gifts and the ministries and the works of the Spirit, I don't want any of you not to know. I don't want any of you ignorant. And the very simple reason for that is these things were given by God to assist with the work of God. The gifts of God are good gifts, and they're not to be looked down on. They're certainly not to be openly rejected. And the truth is, if you ignore or marginalize these spiritual things, you do so, number one, to your own detriment. But infinitely more important than that, you do it, number two, to the detriment of every single person around you. Every person in your life. Why? Because these pneumaticone are tools given by God to help you with the work of God and the advancement of the kingdom of God in the world and with the people around you. That means the people in your life, the people with whom you come in contact, need you to believe in and be prepared to operate in these spiritual gifts. As a result, the person who says, I'm not interested in that stuff, is saying by default, I'm not interested in what God's wanting to do in the world around me. Or they're saying, I believe I can do God's work in my own strength and my own wisdom. I believe I can do God's work without God's help. And if you want to object and say, yeah, but Pastor Billy, God's given us his word for all that. He's given us the scripture. He's given us his word. That's what we need. We need the word. My response is, amen. You're absolutely right. And that word reveals these gifts to us. I didn't make them up. I found them in the book. I didn't decide they matter and you need to know about them. I read that to you 
from the book. And so I remind you, Paul opens this section on spiritual gifts by saying, about pneumaticones, spiritual things, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, I should tell you, the Bible reveals different kinds of spiritual gifts, and I do not have time remotely to get into that in this series, this particular series. So I encourage you, if you have questions about that, come to our Let's Talk event next week, one week from tonight, 630, uh, out there in the foyer. Come, whatever questions you have, whatever objections you have, whatever you want to talk about, that's what it's there for. We'll have coffee, we'll have pastries, and we'll just have at it. So uh, um, please, if you can, uh, come in to that. Now, people often refer to these gifts here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit, based on the Greek word charismata, and because they're so often associated with the charismatic movement. Interestingly, that's not the word in Greek used here in the text. Rather, in Greek, these are called phanerosis, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To make something manifest is to bring it to hand, to bring it to light, to make it seen, to make it heard, to bring it so people know that it's there. And that's the fundamental role of these gifts. They demonstrate the presence and reality of God. They bring the presence of God into view. They bring the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God and the power of God where you can see it and hear it and, and encounter it. They show, they reveal, they manifest the power or the wisdom, or the knowledge of God. That, the activity of the Holy Spirit, was a normal part of New Testament life and ministry is absolutely clear from any honest reading of the New Testament. These manifestations are important tools given by God to His church. And that nobody was more into this stuff than the Corinthian Christians is clear from any honest reading of this particular letter. But what's also clear is that these Corinthian Christians had gone way off the rails in their thinking and their expression of the gifts. They'd lost the understanding of the gifts as tools and began to treat them more like toys, given for their own pleasure and entertainment. Playthings to, to, to help them and excite them and exhilarate them. But the Scripture makes it clear. These gifts are given primarily. They exist fundamentally to confirm the truth of the Word of God and to draw people toward Him. Mark 16, 20 says this, Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed His Word by the signs that accompanied it. Acts chapter 14, verse 3 says this, So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. Even the Lord Jesus Himself said, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Jesus had before the coming of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, had said, you will receive power when He comes to be my witnesses. These manifestations of the Spirit, therefore, are to confirm the truth of the gospel, confirm the truth of the Word of God, and then to help point people toward Jesus. Which means at some fundamental level, if you've already come to the Lord Jesus, and you're already convicted about the truth of the gospel, You shouldn't really need miracles or signs 
to help you believe. Nevertheless, the Corinthian Christian, the Corinthian believers, rather than looking to share Jesus with the lost and asking the Holy Spirit to empower them in that work, began to go hog wild in their church services. There was chaos and disorder. And Paul warned them in 1 Corinthians 14 that they were in danger of running off the very inquirers and the very unbelievers those gifts were designed to move toward the Lord. Paul's exact words to them in 1 Corinthians 14, 23 were, will they not say that you are out of your mind? So even in the New Testament era, we find Paul had to address a disordered, self-focused, bless-me kind of mindset that distorted the purposes of the things of the Spirit. A mindset that focused more on their own excitement than on the salvation of the lost. They wanted to see miracles. Paul wanted to see changed lives. Lives transformed from death to life, from darkness to light. From serving self to serving God, from loving self to loving others. That's why, by the way, in this long three-chapter dissertation on the things of the Spirit, he, the middle third of it, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul stresses love and how to walk and live in love. That's why more than two-thirds of his dissertation on these spiritual things is heavily corrective in nature. And yet, in spite of their many mistakes and abuses, the Apostle Paul did not give up. He didn't give up on those Corinthian Christians, and he did not give up on the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. In fact, no doubt responding to similar abuses, he wrote to the church in Thessalonica, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. There were chaos, immaturity, and abuses of the pneumaticone in Paul's day, but he never trashed spiritual gifts, only their misuse. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, the New Testament presents the activity of the Holy Spirit as a normal part of New Testament life and ministry. And it's no wonder, since Jesus said he promised them Holy Spirit power to be witnesses for him. According to the Apostle Paul, he always sought to share the gospel, not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Writing to the Christians in Galatia, Paul asked this question, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? That is a question rooted in the established fact that God was, in fact, sending His Spirit and working miracles among them. This was normal New Testament Christianity, and there's no good reason to imagine it still shouldn't be normal today. Over and over in the New Testament, the Lord used these manifestations to reveal His presence in the world, to reveal Himself to the lost, and to confirm the truth of His Word. They demonstrate, they manifest that Jesus is alive and well, that God is real and right here with you, that God knows things you don't know, that God can do stuff you can't do. Listen again to this list of these nine manifestation gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. For truly to one is given a, a word of wisdom by the Spirit, 
and to another a word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to a different one faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another working of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, and to a different one various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. Now remember these are supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Knowledge or wisdom or discernment that comes straight from God, not from human insight or reason or ability or effort. The Bible says all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. There is, of course, natural wisdom. There is natural knowledge. There are folks who are naturally discerning. Many healings come about by natural means through rest or medication or surgery. That's not at all what the Bible is talking about here. These are supernatural manifestations of God's working by His Spirit through you. For example, a word of knowledge manifests when by the Holy Spirit you suddenly know something you didn't know before, you didn't learn, you didn't figure it out by human or natural means. It's information that suddenly you have that you didn't have before and you didn't figure it out. You see this working in Jesus in in, uh, John chapter 4. He's having a conversation with this woman from Samaria. He's never met her before in his life. And at some point she says to him, you know, I don't have a husband. To which Jesus replies, you're right when you say uh, you have no husband. In fact, the fact is uh, you've had five husbands and the man you have right now is not your husband. Uh, In the King James, he says, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. The end result of that episode, of that word of knowledge, that information Jesus suddenly had that he, he didn't research and find out, the end result of that is the woman and her entire village got saved. It was a word of knowledge that came to Jesus showing him Nathaniel sitting under a fig tree right before Philip went and got him. And it was that word of knowledge that softened Nathaniel's heart and made him open to hearing from and following Jesus. A word of wisdom, on the other hand, manifests when suddenly by the Holy Spirit you understand what to do or how to respond to something that you didn't know before and couldn't figure out. In other words, a word of knowledge is about information. A word of wisdom is about application. Here's something I know. Here's something I know to do. I find this gift, a word of wisdom, operating frequently in my life as I counsel people. I can't tell you how many times I've I've gone into a meeting with somebody genuinely distressed because I am keenly aware, step into the meeting, I don't have any idea what to do for this person. I have no idea how to help them. I know what they're going to talk about, and I've got nothing, only to find the Holy Spirit show up in that meeting with a word of wisdom and provide wisdom on the spot. So a word of knowledge gives you supernaturally information you didn't have before. A word of wisdom gives you supernaturally what you ought to do or what someone ought to do, how to respond to a given situation. Now, I should also let you know that often these manifestations of the Spirit uh, cross over and and interact and work together so that it's sometimes hard to determine precisely which manifestation is at work. Take an example from our recent study through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 14, a crippled man is looking at the Apostle Paul, listening to him as he is sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says this, Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the Bible continues, the man jumped up and began to walk. So what happened there? 
Did Paul have a word of knowledge? This guy's ready to be healed. Did he have a word of wisdom? Tell that guy to stand up. Was this an operation? Was this a manifestation of faith? I think God's about to do something. Was this a working of miracles? Was this a gift of healing? No doubt it was one or more of all those, but which one or which ones is frankly impossible to say. And my point here very simply is that's not the point. These manifestations of the Spirit do not exist for you to nitpick and dissect and get into a Twitter battle over them. They exist for you to do the work of God in the world. Your job is to believe in them. Ask for them. Look and listen for them and act on them when you believe they've come. For the glory of God and the advancement of His kingdom. I closed last week with five tips on how to be led by the Holy Spirit. I closed with ostensibly the same five tips on how to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Number one, you need to believe. You need to believe these gifts exist. You need to believe they're biblical. Clearly, they're in the Bible. You need to believe the Spirit of God still wants to do these things today. You need to believe. Number two, having believed, you need to ask. Spirit of God, share your gifts. Share them around me. Share them through me. Help me become a conduit of your grace. Manifest yourself in, around, and through me. Number three, you need to act wisely when you think the Spirit reveals something to you. When you believe you've seen something, when you believe you've heard something, step into that and act on it. Paul saw faith. You can't see faith. Something happened by the Spirit of God. Paul looked at this guy and knew he had faith. But then he had to act on it and said, stand up on your feet. I'm going to teach a little bit next week about healing because I don't find hardly anyone who understands healing. Here's a snippet for you. Nobody in the New Testament prays for anybody to be healed. They just heal them. How's that work? We'll talk about it next week. <laughs> Maybe I'll come back. <laughs> Number uh, uh, four, be open to getting it wrong. Be humble and open to getting it wrong because I'm going to tell you there's a learning curve. Just like in learning to hear the voice of the Spirit, there's a learning curve in these things. So be open. Be humble. And finally, take this seriously. Commit to work at it. Commit uh, to learn and grow Commit time and energy to it. Lord, I want to learn to flow in your spirit. I want to recognize when you're showing something. I want to recognize when you're manifesting yourself. Help me and then work at it. Put in the time. Put in the energy. I have more to share on this subject uh, as we close out this series next Sunday. Uh, I'll include a few practical examples from how many of these things have manifested in my own life. And then we're going to close out our time together next week by praying. And giving anyone who's never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, never been filled with the Holy Spirit, an opportunity to ask for that. And, and if you would like to see a release of the ability to commune with the Lord in tongues, we're going to pray for that next week. And so uh, uh, just to put that on here, please be praying. Lord, show up and glorify yourself. But for now, let's, let, let, let's pray. Father God, we love you. And Lord, we love you uh, because you loved us first. We love you because you've shown us what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought also to lay down our lives for our brothers. 
Lord, in loving you and in loving others, it is our desire to be empowered and led by your Spirit to glorify you and bless others. Based on what we find in the Scripture, we believe that's a part of your will. So, Lord, bring us more perfectly into your will. Show us, teach us, grow us up in the things of the Spirit that we might not be not knowing, but we might be better conduits of your grace and power and presence of these spiritual things. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.